Our scripture reading this morning for the sermon is Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is God's word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we just sang a moment ago, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. We need to see Jesus this morning, and we ask that you would show us our sin and our Savior in this text. Give us the hope of the gospel in this evil age. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at these short few verses that in God's providence are very relevant in the wake of the tragic events that have been unfolding over the last couple of weeks and this week in particular. I'm sure you've seen the news about uh, the shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, The death of the children and the teachers in Uvalde weighs heavily on us, especially if you're old enough to understand that. Maybe most acutely if you're a parent or a grandparent, a student or even a teacher. It's not just Uvalde either. We think of the racist massacre at Topps Supermarket in Buffalo, New York. We think of the shooting at the Taiwanese Presbyterian Church just up the way from us in Laguna Woods. Not a PCA church, but another disturbing act of violence. This is a painful moment, especially for the parents and loved ones of those lost in these tragic events and many other acts of violence over the last couple of weeks. It's a painful time for all of us asking ourselves, how long, O Lord? Many wondering, if there is a God in heaven, how could this even happen? If that's you this morning, I'm really glad that you uh, came to worship this morning, that you came to look to Jesus in the middle of uh, the pain and confusion that events like these understandably can cause. And that's just focusing appropriately today, I think, on just one aspect of this fallen world. In just one corner of the world, our corner that we call the United States, over the course of one brief period of time, we could zoom in more closely on your life and the the suffering and the the struggle with evil uh, in your life. We could zoom out globally, thinking about the world picture. We could even stretch the canvas back through recent history to the distant past. And if we did that, the picture of suffering and evil painted on that canvas would be too horrifying for you to even begin to look at. I heard someone make the point once that if we could sense all of the evil and all of the suffering of everyone who has ever lived all at one time, if we could sense that, uh, we couldn't live. It would simply be too much for us. So we need Jesus this morning, and we need to wrestle with this. We need to wrestle with how to think through tragedy and evil in light of ultimate questions and ultimate hope. I think we're in need of a word of hope from the Lord this morning. Uh, Grace and peace will be good for us to hear this morning. Now, Paul is opening this letter of of Galatians uh, to the church in Galatia to combat false gospels, and he opens it with the true gospel. So really what we're going to be looking at today, uh, without going into really the whole of the book of Galatians, though we'll talk about that a little bit, is what is the true gospel and how does that give us hope in this world Uh, The Protestant reformer Martin Luther said that these two words, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. They're Christianity in a nutshell. 
Grace contains the forgiveness of sins, says Luther, a joyful peace, and quiet conscience. But peace is impossible unless sin has been forgiven. That forgiveness of sin is ours in the work of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So I want to look at this text with you this morning and look at three important aspects of the gospel that all kind of center around those three words, Christ gave himself. I think we need to hear these words, afflicted as we are by the sin and misery in this world. Three aspects of gospel hope, all centering around those words, Christ gave himself. First, the problem. Christ gave himself for our sins. Second, the purpose. Christ gave himself to deliver us from this evil age. And finally, the plan. Christ gave himself according to the will of the Father. Let's look first at the problem. Christ gave himself for our sins, we read. For our sins. That's the main problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is humanity's main problem, played out in gut-wrenching clarity over the past couple of weeks and months and centuries, of course, and so on. It is the problem that needs dealing with, and it's the problem Christ gave himself to answer. Maybe someone's thinking, aren't you just spiritualizing things a little bit much? It's typical. It seems so abstract. We need to reform the system. We need to change the script. We need to do something about this mess of a world that we're living in. Well, of course we do. We absolutely must work to change so many things in our neighborhoods and our nation. But I stand by it when I say that this is the truth. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. This isn't a claim to exclusivity. It's a claim of ultimacy. There are many, many real, immediate, urgent problems in this world that we must address, problems we are compelled to confront by the golden rule of love. But that's just it, isn't it? Where hatred of neighbor exists, whether it's through violence or through inaction, the problem is sin. But pointing out the ultimate problem and the divine solution for that problem isn't inaction. It's addressing the ultimate problem. Sin is the ultimate problem. It's the problem beneath every other problem. And if we don't get that, if we don't get that, we get nowhere. And our text this morning tells us that Christ gave himself for our sin. So then, what is sin? As our church defines it, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Shorter catechism, question and answer 14. It's walking out of step with God's law or actively opposing God's law. Living life by your own rules, whether inadvertently or intentionally. Sin is living not under the gaze of a holy God to the glory of a holy God, but instead living however you please. Why is sin a big deal? It's a big deal because we were created to live for the glory of God. God is our creator, and as creator, God alone is worthy to demand our adoration and obedience. Those are his rights as our creator. And our creator makes it clear in his word that sin is a universal problem, and it's the ultimate problem. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The soul that sins shall die, Ezekiel 18.20. That's why the law can't save sinners, by the way. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's why sin is a big deal. And that's why it is the ultimate problem. I think it's important, though, to make sure that we're thinking about the same problem here. 
Uh, It is the problem out there in the world when a man walks into a supermarket or into a school and shoots people. It is the problem out there in the world, yes, but it's the problem in every human heart. It's the problem of every human being. It's the problem in your heart that Christ gave himself to address. J.C. Ryle made a keen observation when he wrote, A murder, a sudden death, a shipwreck, or a railway accident will completely occupy the minds of a neighborhood and be in the mouth of everyone you meet. And yet these very persons dislike talking of their own deaths and their own prospects in the world beyond the grave. Such is human nature in every age. In religion, men are ready to talk of anybody's business rather than their own. Ryle goes on to describe a more appropriate response in the converted believing heart. He says, Does the converted man hear of some awful crime or deed of wickedness? He will say to himself, Are my sins forgiven? And have I really repented of my own transgressions? Does he hear of worldly men running into every excess of sin? He will say to himself, Who has made me to be any different? What has kept me from walking in the same road except the free grace of God? Let us take a kind interest in all around us. Let us feel tender pity and compassion for all who suffer violence or are removed by sudden death, but let us never forget to look at home and to learn wisdom for ourselves from all that happens to others. Let's remember that the problem that we must see isn't just a problem out there. It's a problem in here that Christ gave himself to address. Look, I have no intention in any of this of downplaying or disregarding real-world, concrete steps taken to alleviate pain and injustice in this present world. The gospel changes lives, and those changed by the gospel are passionate to seek change for the better in the world. But this is the bottom line. Even in the face of the most gut-wrenching evil and tragedy, the truth remains. No matter what we can improve about this world, no matter what we can change about this evil world, This unjust world by loving God and loving our neighbor. And we must, we should seek that change. No matter what we can do, sin remains the ultimate problem and Christ the final answer. Nothing is fixed until that truth grips and converts the human heart. That is the ultimate real world solution of the gospel. Hebrews 9, 27 to 28 says, And just as it Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he has dealt with it, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Salvation from sin and judgment isn't some spiritualizing platitude. It's a real-world solution for the ultimate problem of every human heart. Maybe you're still asking, though, isn't that kind of cold? Isn't that a little bit callous in light of all the pain and suffering in the world around us, uh, pointing, that, pointing out that sin is the ultimate problem? Well, I'd invite you to turn with me for a moment over to the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. In Luke 13, 1 through 5, Uh, Jesus is presented with an example of heinous evil, and then he himself offers another example of what appears to be senseless tragedy. I think we need to hear Jesus' words. Luke 13, 1 to 5. We read, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? It appears that's what they were implying. No, Jesus says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, we don't know why this topic was brought up necessarily with Jesus, but notice how he responds to the question. Jesus isn't speaking, of course, sitting across from a grieving parent or a grieving loved one. I think the context matters here. But he does speak plainly about the problem to people proposing wrong answers uh, to the reason for suffering. He doesn't unravel the conundrum of the evil Pilate perpetrated, and it was evil. It was a religious hate crime by today's standards, besides being political oppression. Jesus doesn't seek to explain the hidden purposes of God behind the seemingly senseless loss of life by all human vantage points uh, when the Tower of Siloam fell on these people and killed them. No, he goes to the ultimate problem, which is sin and judgment. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This passage in the Gospel of Luke was helpful to me, uh, talking with my family who lived on the outskirts of Joplin, Missouri uh, in 2011 when the EF5 tornado decimated the city of Joplin. Uh, it was EF5, so if you're Californian, you're thinking of wildfire burn acreage and containment percentages. But just to put that into perspective, uh, this tornado uh, slammed into the nine-story St. John's Hospital in Joplin and moved it four inches from its foundation. So just remember or imagine what that could do to an entire city. I remember driving down for a couple of weekends, and I was just trying to help you know, do cleanup, sift through people's homes, maybe salvage some of their possessions, especially, you know, things that maybe would give them a little bit of, of hope in the moment. I remember in one home uh, finding this one man's uh, golf ball collection. I think the golf college owners would be proud. Uh, he had collected a golf ball from every course that he had played on around the world. They were scattered under pieces of brick and twisted plumbing and sheetrock. Where is God when this happens? Some have even said, how could there be a God when things like this happen? So I remember gathered around the, the kitchen island, uh, speaking with my family, and this was the passage I turned to. I don't really know why I turned to Luke 13. I don't know how effectively I communicated this at the time, but it just seemed like a mistake to try to unravel uh, the, the mystery of God's providence and his will in that moment. Instead, I think that it's good for us to follow the wisdom of Jesus and point to the ultimate problem that these things put right in front of us to consider. It's like R. Kent Hughes said, death is an enemy, but also an evangelist. And he's thinking there of what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Incidentally, in Jesus' conversation about these tragedies, uh, the question is a far more religious question than the question we might face today. Uh, in one sense, they say, did this happen because there were worse sinners than other people? In other words, they have a context for God and sin and judgment. Uh, but that's not typically the question in our day, is it? Typically, people would ask, how could there even be a God? That's a far more common question. Maybe even as a Christian today, you're wrestling with that question. You find yourself wrestling with how there could even be a God when things like this happen over and over again. Well, like the psalmist Asaph, you look at evil people, right? Psalm 73, 
And you say, how can evil people get away with murder and stay fat and happy with no fear of judgment? That's, that's my paraphrase of Psalm 73. But then what happens? Asaph goes to the house of the Lord. He goes to the house of the Lord to worship, and he's reminded of the way the story ends, the way the story ends for the righteous and the way the story ends for the wicked. That's what being here in this moment this morning does for us. It takes us out of the grip of news and news feeds, and it gives us the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. But Jesus also gave himself for us. Christ gave himself for you. He died to save sinners. And let's not forget who is writing these words that we're thinking about this morning. This is Paul, the former religious zealot and murderer who wrote this letter to the Galatians. If there's grace for Paul, there's grace for anyone. There's grace for you. And there's grace for me. This is mind-blowing, an undeserved grace for sinners. Gospel hope in an evil age is the God of all creation coming into this evil age, coming into our world, being born to die on a cross to save his people from their sins. Through his victory over the grave, death has lost its sting for the Christian. As the old hymn says, it is not death to die right? For those who by faith are clinging to the one who has conquered death and the grave. Christ gave himself for your sins so that you could have that hope. Well, that's, that's the first point, the problem, sin. And Christ gave himself for our sins. And as I see it, gospel hope in an evil age just gets better and better as the text goes on. The points in this sermon, by the way, get shorter and shorter as we go on, if that's reassuring to you. So let's look now at the, at the second point. Second, the purpose. Christ gave himself to rescue us from this evil age. Look again at Galatians 1.4. It says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This present evil age is a way of describing the world in all the ways that it is set against the kingdom of Christ and the gospel of grace. This present evil age looks like sinful acts and the burden of a sin-cursed world where suffering and death hold sway. I don't think we need any convincing, do we, that this is an evil age that we're living in. 14 million Ukrainian refugees, abortion, racism, marital strife and infidelity, poverty, cancer, sickness, broken marriages, your own sin dogging you everywhere you go. It's an evil age where sin and the effects of sin touch every aspect of our lives. When does it end? Where's the rescue that this text tells us about? Well, the answer is that the rescue has already begun. New creation, the perfect glory and peace of the age that is to come, has already broken in into the present through the regeneration of hearts and the redemption of souls. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. The new has come. It's already here and now. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3, 14 and 15, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're saying, great, praise God, but frankly, I want off this planet. I'm so done with everything. Why do we have to wait around in this world and be confronted with pain and sorrow over and over again? Here's the thing. We're still here because Jesus wants to show himself to others through you. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, and he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And here's the amazing thing. Don't don't miss what Jesus prays next. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Not just for the 12, but for those who would believe in Christ through the testimony That includes us. That includes all who believe in Christ as we preach and live out the gospel in our lives. There will come a day when Jesus returns and wipes every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sorrow, crying, pain. It will be over and done. The former things, all that this present evil age is, will pass away and new creation will come. But until then, through tears of pain, we hold out hope the hope of the gospel to others, and we weep with those who weep, and we plead with them through our tears to see Jesus through their tears. We plead with them to come and cling to his grace for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. We offer them living water when they've cried themselves empty. Revelation twenty-two seventeen: the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We've been rescued, friends, from this present evil age. It's just the beginning, but it has no hold on you. It has no power over you, and it will not destroy you if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and your arms open to all who will come, pleading with them to come, pleading with them to know the fullness of forgiveness and life in Jesus. Seek change in the world, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But for the love of the lost, bear witness to the ultimate problem and the solution of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. That's the purpose of his sacrifice, to rescue us from this evil age. We've seen the problem. We've seen the purpose. Just one more final incredible truth from these few verses. The plan. The plan. Christ gave himself according to the will of the Father. The news just gets better and better because when you look around at all the sin and suffering and death in this world, the buck doesn't stop with God. It stops with us. We need to put one of those gas pump stickers on ourselves that says, we did this. We did this. But here's the amazing thing. God had a plan that's better than the mess of his world that we've made. Let's remember the story God created humanity in perfect righteousness and holiness to love and to serve him, to enjoy fellowship with him, spreading his glory throughout all the earth. What could be better than that? What could possibly be better? Yet our first parents fell from that wonderful arrangement by sinning against God, by rebelling against him, by turning away from him. The world that we live in now is a world that's plunged into sin at the fall. When Adam disobeyed God, he drug the entire human race into in a state of sin and misery. And every human being who has ever lived since then has followed in the path of old man Adam. Just look at the opening chapters of the Bible. One generation after the garden, what do we have? Fratricide. Brother killing brother. Cain stones his brother Abel to death in a field. We did this. But there's good news. I'll quote again from our church's catechism because it so beautifully describes God's plan. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? 
God having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. That's the plan. Every human being deserves judgment. You and I deserve judgment, but Christ gave himself for us according to the will of our God and Father. I think we know God far more deeply according to this plan than if man had never fallen into sin in the first place. It's one thing for the creature to know the love of the creator, his love and fellowship with him and his provision and his care for him. But it's something quite different, isn't it? For an enemy to see his creator, who should be his judge, stoop down and take the blow of punishment upon himself in your place to make you not an enemy, but a friend and a beloved child. That's the gospel. In fact, that's uh, the gospel that Paul unpacks in the book of Galatians. We've just been focusing on these first couple of verses, but Paul is surrounding uh, his argument, is the linchpin of his argument is this covenant that God has made, this covenant of grace to deliver his people. The Galatians were being led astray by false teachers who were saying that uh, to be a Christian, you had to obey works of the law in addition to believing in Jesus Christ. Essentially, these people who would follow Jesus were hearing, uh, yes, Christ gave himself for you, but you also have to do these things in order to be saved. Paul drives home in Galatians uh, the point that the law was never given to save you in the first place. Only someone perfectly righteous who could perfectly obey the law could be saved by it. And you and I don't qualify because we're sinners. For us sinners, salvation has always been by promise. It has always been by grace. And the salvation in which we stand, which Paul is proclaiming and which we proclaim, was accomplished by the promised seed of Abraham who would come. Jesus Christ, our Savior. How does he do it? How does Christ do that? Jesus does that by coming in human flesh and being the perfectly righteous Son of God, living among us, obeying the law at every point where we fail, and then giving himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Galatians 3, 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's the gospel, friends. That's gospel hope in an evil age. If it could save a murderer like Paul and make him a missionary of grace, then it can save anyone then it's grace for you and it's grace for me. It's more than just thoughts and prayers. The gospel can save bloodthirsty Paul. It can save you. And you know yourself better than anyone. What did Paul say? I am the worst of sinners. And I think we all ought to say that when we understand the extent of our sin. But if it can save us, then it is a real world solution for the ultimate problem of sin. Turn to Jesus. If you haven't, turn to Jesus for this grace. Know the rescue that he provides by faith alone. You need these two little words, grace and peace. Christian, because Jesus gave himself for your sins to rescue you from this evil age according to the will of the Father, grace and peace, those two wonderful words that sum up all that we believe, they are yours. Nothing can take that away. Let's pray together.
Father, we come before you just in awe of the grace that is ours in Christ. We pray that you would comfort our hearts, Lord, as we continue to live in a world that will continue to disappoint us, continue to disturb us until that day when you do come to finally and fully make all things new. Father, give us faith. Help our, help our eyes to stay fixed on Jesus and not to be turned away by the suffering and sin, but to be pushed towards him for hope and peace in this evil age. We thank you for what you will do through us as we live out our life, Lord, uh, according to the gospel, as we live a life that testifies to the grace that is free for the asking in Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things in his name. Amen.